Good morning, happy Sabbath, and welcome to Castle Hill Semith Adventist Church. As Pastor Pablo has already said, we're so glad that you've joined us today. We've got a very special service today. Pastor Don, or Dr. Don Roy, I should say, who is a wonderful musician. He's a wonderful friend of Pastor Pablo, and he's a wonderful man. He's be, he'll be preaching with us and sharing with us this morning. I'd like to thank all the musicians and singers who are taking part, and there are a lot of people who are taking part in this, and here's why. When we talk about the history and meaning of worship, the focus should always be around reading and understanding the Bible and directing us back to Scripture. This understanding of God through the deep study of His Word has led many people through the past millennia to put their thoughts down on paper, particularly in two main ways, poetry and music. After all, the biggest book of the Bible, Psalms, comprises of 150 songs, whose topics range from the highest exaltation of God to the deepest fears of humanity, from the highest of victories to the lowest of defeats, from the longing to learn of God's holy, everlasting and never-changing law to seeking repentance and forgiveness from sin. These songs help and teach us and admonish us, allowing us to sing with praise in our hearts to the Lord. And let me tell you, it is a wonderful thing to do that. And today, nothing has changed much. But do we know these people who wrote these songs, whose lyrics we know so well? For example, do we know that the captain of a slave trade ship wrote the song Amazing Grace? His name was John Newton. Do we know that the, one of the most famous hymn writers is also a famous scientist? His name is Sir Isaac Watts. Or what about one of the most prolific hymn writers in history was blind, but yet saw greater than all of us? This lady was a teacher, a wife, a mother, and even a makeshift emergency nurse, because when she lived, they were going through a pandemic as well, the cholera outbreak in the 19th century in America. Her song's blessed assurance to God be the glory all the way my Saviour leads me. Tell me the story of Jesus and redeemed how I love to proclaim it are just a few of 8,000 poems that she wrote, which others put to music. Songs in which we find rebuke, comfort and a reason to rejoice as we sing them today. Her name was Frances, yet we simply call her Fanny. This is how God used the life of the extraordinary Fanny Jane Crosby, a devout follower of Jesus whose timeless lyrics we still sing and enjoy today. In fact, the lyrics that you will hear us today all came from one person. You guessed it, that was Fanny's pen. We invite you to sing this beautiful music along with us during this service. We will see the length, the breadth, the height and depth of God's love for you and for me even through the deepest, darkest times in our human experience and look forward to Jesus' very imminent return. These songs are not just written for, for the select few to sing, but were written for all of us to sing, which is why there will be so many people standing right here praising God. And I encourage you all to sing from your couches as we worship God in spirit and in truth. Some of you will know these songs. Some of you may not know any, and that's okay. Some will know few and some will know most of them, but let us join together in worshipping our God together. The lyrics will be at the bottom of the screen so that you can sing along with us and see these precious biblical truths in these wonderful hymns. We invite you to sing our first song, a 
a song that encapsulates the heart of the gospel in such simple terms. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. simplicity. The hymn that we've just been singing captures beautifully the essence of the gospel story as it focuses on the cross where Jesus was cruelly nailed. 
of the grave where he was laid to rest in the sleep of death. But then his resurrection and the cosmic triumph over death and the grave. And because of what Jesus has secured, he has paved the way and provided access through prayer into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. It's because of him. And that's why we typically conclude our prayers, where we, how we sign off, as it were, in Jesus' name, Amen. In acknowledgement of what Jesus has made possible. From our Bibles, you'll recall how God spoke to Elijah as he was hiding in a cave in fear of his life. But God didn't speak to him in an earthquake. He didn't speak to him through the wind or fire, but what is described as the still, small voice. And it's in that attitude that we come to him in prayer this morning. A thoughtful person once commented, Dew doesn't settle on the grass when the wind is blowing. It only settles when the atmosphere is calm and the air is still. One of Fanny Crosby's hymns serves as a reminder that although we come to the, into the Father's presence with confidence this morning, we don't take it for granted and come in casual brashness, but rather in a sense of awe and reverent respect. The words of Fanny's hymn remind us, tread softly, tread softly, the Master is here. Tread softly, tread softly, he bids us draw near. And that's how we come this morning in response to his invitation. Be silent, be silent, three and a half years that the disciples spent with Jesus, 
they observed up close and personally the significance of prayer in his life. As according to his daily habit, he drew aside and took time out with his father. So it's no surprise that they asked him, teach us to pray. In his response, note Jesus' opening words, our father who art in heaven. What does that really mean? First, I suggest it signals inclusiveness. The disciples had asked, teach us. His model prayer began in simple elegance, our father. It means that in God's eyes, we're all part of his family. And in so doing, it reveals a God who is personal, warm and relational. Secondly, it acknowledges God's sovereignty and our dependence. There's no place for the self-made man. The psalmist sings it beautifully in Psalm 100 when he declares, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Thus, he is acknowledged as both our creator and our sustainer. More than likely, the word sustain isn't part of our common usage. One might suggest the word provider is more appropriate today, and it means the same thing. But I still like sustainer because it conveys the sense of ongoing, unbroken, sustained provision in every aspect of our being in relation with him. It's interesting how Fanny Crosby often spoke of how little things that happened throughout her life served as reminders of God's goodness. Like the time she was penniless and she was unable to pay an important bill. She recounted how that day an acquaintance had knocked on her door. The lady said she had been impressed that Fanny was in need and she handed her a $5 bill, the exact amount that she needed. It is said it was this experience that was the motivation for her hymn, All the way my Saviour leads me, for I know whate'er befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. In a number of her hymns, Fanny Crosby also used the imagery of an eastern shepherd who led and protected the lives of his precious animals, even at the risk of his own. So it's interesting to compare the words of this hymn, All the way my Saviour leads me, with the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. And note the resonance between them. It's worth trying this for yourself, I might add, in your time of personal devotion sometime. But let's note some of those similarities here now. Psalm 23 describes the Lord as the shepherd who leads and guides and can be trusted no matter what the circumstances and the directions our paths take, both when times are good and even when confronted by danger and death may stare stare us in the face, even in a pandemic. The psalmist declares, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Crosby expressed it this way. She wrote, All the way my Saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies? 
who through life has been my guide, heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell, for I know whate'er before me Jesus doeth all things well. The shepherd psalm also speaks of abundance. The psalmist sings, You prepare a table before me, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Crosby responds, describing the shepherd, who gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. And finally, the psalmist ends in a crescendo of hope and destiny. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In similar fashion, Fanny testifies, in similar heights, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When I wake to life immortal, wing my flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Let's reflect on these sentiments as we sing together that hymn and the words should appear on the bottom of your screens. Jesus 
We can only imagine what Fanny Crosby's world of blindness must have been like. 94 years of total blackness. One day, a well-meaning preacher commented, I think it's a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. But her focus was not locked in the present, but took a longer view that took in the joys of eternity. She remarked, It seemed intended by blessed providence of a God of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things all around me. She added, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight shall be that of my Saviour. She later, later stated, How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. On another occasion when someone expressed pity for her, Fanny responded that she had no regrets, no room for self-pity. In fact, she saw it as a privilege to be able to see reality in a different light from others. In the hymns that we are going to sing shortly, she wrote, Never be sad or desponding. Lean on the arm of thy Lord. Dwell in the depths of his mercy. Thou shalt receive thy reward. It wasn't just her blindness alone that she had to contend with. In 1859, at age 38, while teaching at a school for the adult blind, she met and married Alexander Val Alstein. He was a student and also blind. After they married and her hymn writing became more prolific, Fanny gave birth to a daughter named Frances. But sadly, Frances died in her sleep not long after her death. Some believe that the cause was typhoid fever, although others speculated it may have been SIDS. It was out of those tragic circumstances that Fanny Crosby's hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, was born. It wasn't just theoretical with Fanny Crosby. These were expressions of genuine experiential faith not from a sentimentalist reflection, from inexperience. For us, we find scattered through Scripture words of consolation, encouragement and hope designed to help us endure. A common word in today's vocabulary is resilience. And furthermore, we are not alone. Notice, notice how in the wake of our current COVID pandemic, Slogans are born such as, you are not alone and we're all in this together. From scripture, just three examples of encouragement to endure. Exodus says, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. Paul in Corinthians said, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, 
perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. The psalmist again says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Just a few days ago I spoke with a friend who had recently lost his wife to brain tumour in early years after a long and painful illness. He is still understandably in a midst of wild swings of emotion and sense of loneliness and even abandonment. But during our conversation we were reminded that it is okay to be spiritually confused at times, to feel numb and abandoned, to actually challenge God and ask questions. Like Jesus when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But despite the inability to understand, being reassured by the fact, as the psalmist expressed, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Isaiah reminds us, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God doesn't only guide and support us through the hard times. He makes us stronger to withstand them the next time. He will not leave us hanging even in the darkest of days, even when it doesn't feel okay. We should remember that there's a difference between what is fact and true and how we feel. Bad feelings do not change what is true. In a number, another of her lesser known hymns, Fanny Crosby wrote, What if thy burdens oppress thee? There is a morrow for thee. Soon thou shalt dwell in its brightness. There with the Lord thou shalt be. Let's reflect on her words as we listen to more of that hymn sung to us here a cappella by a double quartet. Merrily sad or desponding, only have faith to believe. Grace for the duties before thee, ask of thy God and receive. sorrows, Jesus will bid them depart. Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Sing when your trials are greatest, trust in the Lord and take heart. What if thy burdens oppress thee? What though thy life may sorrows, Jesus will bid them depart. Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. 
Sing when your trials are greatest. Trust in the Lord and take heart. Never be sad or desponding. Lean on the arm of thy Lord. Dwell in the depths of his mercy. Thou shalt receive thy reward. Never To thy sorrows, Jesus will bid them depart. Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Sing when your trials are greatest, trust in the Lord and take heart. In a popular song, Beth Mittler sang, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. But you know what? I think she was wrong. Because through the Holy Spirit, unlimited by space, location and time, God is right beside us, up close and personal. But it does take eyes to see. Let's visit two stories from our Bibles that serve as a reminder. You'll recall Jacob fleeing in fear from his home and his angry brother Esau. During that first uncomfortable night, camping in the opening, open with a stone for a pillow, he had a dream of angels ascending and descending a ladder between heaven and earth and the Lord standing at the head. Remember Jacob's response as he set up and anointed the stony pillow next morning as a memorial and his words, Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not realise it. In another ancient story recorded in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're also reminded how Elisha, the prophet and his servant, took refuge in Dothan, from the Syrian army sent out to capture them. The record reads, Therefore the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of Elisha, the man of God, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? The story continues, Elisha answered him, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And he prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. The record goes on, Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, of fire all around Elisha. We should never forget that the God of Jacob and Elisha is the same God that wants us to know him today. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi, he urged them, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The challenges are not going to go away. What does make a difference is the way we deal with them. Don't be anxious. What does that mean? I believe it's talking of a deep-seated anxiety that eats away at one's emotional composure and spiritual outlook. Many of us who lived as Adventists through the 1970s may recall how some new words captured our imagination and shed fresh light into our spiritual world. The words, assurance and grace. Why was it that Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, become a bestseller, even among Adventists? Why did the, the book have such potency? Could I suggest it was again symptomatic of a spiritual, existential drought and hunger of the time? But spiritually speaking, the words were not really new. They were just being revived with fresh potential. Some might say with a potential that is still not fully realised, understood or appreciated as much as it could be. In the wider world of the 21st century, concepts like well-being and resilience are commonly being expressed and have captured great interest. Some regard this interest as symptomatic of an increasing sense of fragility and uncertainty and lack of meaning. Notice how at the present time, in response to the debilitating effects of COVID-19, mental health is becoming a major concern. Why do so many Christians lead such impoverished lives? I'm not referring to what every Christian face, faces in challenging times in their lives, times when they face tragedy or even times when they might have serious doubts and questions. Never let's forget Jesus' parting promise at his ascension following his resurrection when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Fanny Crosby's well-known hymn speaks of what I regard as embodied assurance that only can sustain us today, but is a foretaste of better things to come. Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior. Savior all the day long. 
perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. von Trapp saying, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. The Bible story starts like that. It boldly declares, in the beginning, God. Not just a very good place to start, but the very best place, the only place. And then, if we're really honest, most of us would somehow feel cheated if the story didn't end up with a, and they all lived happily ever after. Again, so does the Bible story, but the end of that story is so much grander. It is indeed a gospel story of, of very good news. Between Genesis and Revelation, the bookends of the Bible, between creation and the consummation, lies the grand story of a God who is not willing to see humanity suffer the ultimate consequences of their bad choice, but of a God who became one of us in the person of Jesus and wrested back the sovereignty that our first parents had denied and that Satan had stolen. In the grand story of the Bible, hard on the heels of the sad fall of our first parents in the third chapter of Genesis, a picture is revealed of a compassionate God who comes searching for them in the cool of the evening to announce his rescue plan. A plan so deeply personal that it would cost him the life of his own precious son. And in the meantime, he would clothe them in a garment to cover their shame, a garment that he himself provided at the expense of the life and of, of an innocent lamb. So, here in the seedbed of the Bible, we are introduced to the theme of something being lost, but then being found again. In his parables, Jesus expanded on this theme and gave new insights into the significance 
of how that affects every individual born into this world, each in their own situation and circumstances. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Notice in each case when the lost is found, there is joy in heaven. Joy that recognises salvation and restoration for even the most apparently insignificant individual. As I read my Bible and the Gospel story comes to a climax in the last two chapters of the Bible, everything that was broken is restored again to its original glory. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. In describing the glory of the new Jerusalem, John the Revelator testified, I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sea or the moon, sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Restoration brings joy, joy that can't be contained. Joy that bursts into song. Revelation records, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Fanny Crosby also gave voice to such joy when she wrote, Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honour give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, there it is again, like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms he carries them all day long. And she concludes, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, Heavenly portals loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Saviour, reigneth forever and ever. Crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Let's do that now in Fanny Crosby's hymn, Praise Him.
is our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.